0: The first book I ever published was in 2002, and it was titled Building Professional Services, The Siren Song. That book was all about building a professional services function within a hardware or software company. To celebrate the 20th anniversary of that book, TSI published a paper titled The Future, of Technology Professional Services. And today we will be joined by Shali Stanley, who's the SVP of Global Delivery at Salesforce. And we'll be discussing the future of the professional services function within technology providers like Salesforce. I'm Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the technology and services industry association and welcome to tectonic the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world so let's get this insight engine humming and so Shally, welcome to tectonic
1: thank you glad to be here.
0: yeah it's wonderful to have you and it's been a while we've been trying to get this on the books and i know you're you're super busy so it's great that you could get in here and as always we want to start with if you could describe your responsibilities at salesforce that'd be helpful
1: Yeah, I'd be more than happy to. So as you said, I'm responsible for global delivery within professional services here at Salesforce. And what that means is that I've got two primary functions, right? Overall, my team's mission is to make sure that as a professional services organization, we provide consistent, high-quality customer outcomes for our customers across the globe, as we grow, there's a lot baked into how you make that happen. But it starts with a lot of delivery standards, tools, assets, templates. But it also, especially in a growing organization like ours, it requires people to know how to do their jobs. And so making sure that everybody is ready to deliver those and knows what they need to know. Um, is a critical part of what the team does as well. And then the last is really around scale. As we grow, we're looking at different delivery models that we can use to be able to achieve that scale. And my team is responsible for all of those global delivery centers, right? Our shared global delivery capability that we have in places like India that we take advantage of. So it's kind of spread out, but all focused on consistency and quality.
0: Yeah. And as I as I listen to you, I mean, this is the reason that a function like professional services becomes global within a technology company, and that you know, that it's not just all done within each country or within each region, because the two attributes there you really (laughs) stress, right? It it, it's gotta be consistent, (laughs) it's gotta be scalable. I mean, that stuff is super important. And so you know, it's hard to do that if you don't really have a view that's cutting across all of the regions, building the best practices, et cetera. So, um, so, and again, once you're at the scale at a company like Salesforce, it's super important. So, so, we're going to talk about some of the trends that are that are impacting technology services, um, and you know, w- one of the big things here for PS has been this this focus on value realization so there's been this shift over the past you know X amount of years from just hey PS they're almost like you know they've been historically like the Navy seals right they kind of come in they implement they integrate something and then boom they're on to the next you know to the next uh, thing and but now it's it's much more about how do you help the customer adopt the solution so so what are you seeing for professional services as it relates to adoption services?
1: I think that's such a great point. I I think one of the things here at Salesforce, right, we've started out as a company that's SaaS-focused. We were born in that business model. And one of our five core values, our second one, is actually customer success. And so as an organization, and because we are subscription-based, usage or adoption of our software is absolutely critical. So we've been focused on that from the beginning. We've been focused on driving customer success, customer outcomes in professional services, because otherwise the business model doesn't actually work. I, I think that that, that, brings to bear all different kinds of things. What you see is a lot more robust capability around change management, around project management, around what some of the business value drivers are for customers as they use or adopt our software so that they start to realize that. And so our skills are not just technical. And in fact, they're they're evenly split in terms of our, our consulting teams to be able to do both.
0: So, well, it's interesting because one of the questions I had on the hip right here with you, because you put on the table here that, hey, we're a SaaS company. Um, by definition, we came out of the gate. Adoption is where the game is for us. We've got to have customers you know stay on the platform so they renew, so they expand. So our professional services organization has always been oriented that way what does that mean in terms of your relationship with a customer success function because the majority of companies have have had to put a customer success function in play because nobody was focused on adoption ongoing adoption right so 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 t- talk a little bit about that handshake or that you know portfolio how it all works together
1: we we have a, a a really good partnership with our customer success organization and we have a very robust customer success organization because you're right customer success owns the ongoing adoption post a customer's initial implementation. And so we actually are in the process of working on how we articulate that value super crisply To our customers, where we're showing where success plays, where professional services or our many partners could play. Um, As you know, the Salesforce partner ecosystem is very strong. So so we have this symbiotic relationship about what that looks like. Professional services is typically involved in helping a customer get started Mm -hmm. and helping them be set up be successful. And then our customer success organization is involved. And so we actually have critical junctures within that life cycle where we work together with a customer. And it's not a throw it over the wall type of situation.
0: So if I play that back. I mean, a couple of important things here. Uh, be, and again, this is bringing the lens back for, for where I think the industry is on a lot of these topics. I mean, first of all, there's no doubt the portfolio between professional service activities and CS activities is starting to blur. It's, there's no doubt about it, right? Because again, if the game is about adoption, um, and so some PS motions can start to feel like a customer success motion, some customer success motions can feel like a more consultative motion. So that's happening for sure. And and like you just said, I mean, it, it, technology providers have to be smart about how they articulate that to the customers, right? What you know, where we're we're engaging different resources for what reasons, et cetera. But the other thing you said there is is the, you know this line of demarcation. P.S. is, is you know, ultimately you really, you, what, what you're, you're doing is to make sure the customer is set up for ongoing success. And so again, just turning them on is not success anymore. It's beyond that. So you have to really understand what they're doing with chain management. Do they have the right configurations? Do they have, you know, all this fun stuff. And so that's where you start to have that more intimate handoff to customer success. So the customer su- success says, hey, P.S., thanks. You gave me a customer in good shape as opposed to, you just handed me a show here and exactly. you know now i've got all i can't get them to adopt so so you know it it is again a different focal point than traditional technology professional services which were really just about if the if the lights are on if the technology is running i've done my job and that's just you know not enough anymore but the other thing here is is around services convergence and and this is where you know, as companies are trying to articulate the difference between CS and PS, and maybe even premiums, you know, support, etc., uh, Jim Roth, you know, executive from your team, was just at our last conference talking about how you guys are creating a much more intimate relationship between support and CS, right? And and so let's talk about you know services, you know, c- convergence, and how companies are breaking down the silos between PS, CS, support, education, so that you can manage. Those resources more fluidly as opposed, you know, I was just talking to somebody the other day that, you know, these individual p are becoming more of a, of a bug, not a feature for technology providers, right? Because it's preventing you from using resources more fluidly between PS and CS and SS, et cetera. So, so you know, what do you see there?
1: I, I think that that is absolutely a trend. That, that I've seen elsewhere in the industry, and I see it here at Salesforce. Um, you know, as part of Jim Roth's organization, he has brought together customer success, support, and educational services into one organization. So we absolutely are seeing that and the benefits of that because there are many, many synergies. I think the approach that we are taking at the moment between that organization, which we call success, a combined success organization, and professional services is that they're two distinct organizations right now that report up through the same leadership. So they do come together, but um, they're both sizable businesses here at Salesforce given the scale. And so the approach that we're using is to be highly collaborative between the two to make sure that we are thinking about it from a customer's lens. Because customers don't care what your organizational structure is. They just want the support that they need at the time that they need it. And and that's fair, right? So if we engage with a customer-focused lens, it's really up to us to sort out who shows up. To do which activities at which point to deliver against that promise. Yeah,
0: so, um, so let me play back some of that. I mean, in, in, I think this is important again for the for the for the audience here. So, so traditional tech companies, you would have you know, again support, educational services, um, customer success, PS, individual organizations often reporting to the you know up the same food chains to some type of you know global services executive, whatever. But very distinct organizations. What you just said is at it, Salesforce. We really are working to take the the SS CS and ES and 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 blur those you know those organizations, make them much more intimate, right? And so that's a big move on the chessboard for sure. And like you said, I think that's a, that's a real trend. PS is still distinct. And, and one of the reasons that that happens a lot is in in by the way, your own financial you know ten ks ten qs would reflect this. You, you know, P S E S S S are very much annuity businesses, you know, signed around the, you know, the core contract, they're ratable, blah, blah, blah. P.S. historically, very project-based, different animal. So if I looked at your 10K right now, there'd be a P.S. gear that you break out specifically because that's a different animal. And then you have the rest of all your annuity revenue bundled together. Now that leads <laughs> to this next question, another trend that we see, which is, it was, is P.S. becoming a subscription? Right. More credit based, more ratable, huge trend that um, Bo is, you know, on our team leading PS research, as you know, is working on hot topic within the advisory board that, that you participate in. So so what are your thoughts there? What, what are you seeing, you know, from the Salesforce perspective, but also as you talk to your peers in the industry?
1: Yeah, I think it really depends on what you can package. Right. So a couple of things that customers are certainly looking for that support the need for uh, super packaged or credit-based types of, of offers, right, is that they need to be well-defined, they need to be easily digestible, um, and, and that works in that model. And a lot of those kinds of offers are part of our success, customer success platform, and they work nicely there. We're Professional services is headed, is still in that more complex transformational space. And so we've started to segment who is doing what to be able to take advantage of the right engagement between CS and, and PS to keep those lines clearer. Now, a lot of our customers will actually take on very large digital transformations, very large digital transformations for Fortune 100 companies. Don't work in a credit-based system because I cannot draw clear boxes around what we're doing. So I think we're we're separating our areas of focus to be able to do more of that subscription-based service. So I think that's the first thing that I would say, and then the second, which we also look at, because in professional services, as everyone will will appreciate, it's really hard to resell your revenue every year and and maintain growth. So for those organizations that are expected to grow year over year in professional services, which we are, that that is part of our, our overall plan and strategy as an organization, then we have to be looking at things that are renewable while staying in our goal of helping our customers be set up for success. And so some of the things that we're focusing on there is we, we actually have a new offer called the Office of Continuous Innovation. In a SaaS-based world, certainly Salesforce, we our product updates itself three times a year and new innovations are made available to our customers. That, that's part of the value of buying Salesforce. It just happens. And so You want to take advantage of all of those things. Our customers should take advantage of all of those things. But a lot of our customer organizations, their governance models, their organizational structures, their support models within are not set up to do that. They are business as usual organizations. And so we help set them up to really take advantage of all of the value that customers can take advantage of from Salesforce. That's a professional services motion, and helping them build those muscles—not just design it, but build it—in a crawl, walk, run type of model for a period of time does fit very nicely in that predictable revenue model.
0: So, so let me give you a straw man here to, re- to react to. as I listen to you, right? So, so uh, again, I think PS having more renewable type offers is a good thing. They have to be, you know well-defined, well you know, you know what you're doing there, the more structured, the better. And to your point, I mean, do, do I think that, you know, sal-based work is going to completely go away for technology professional service organizations? No way, because to your point, if you're working on a, you know, m- you know, multi-year, multi-million dollar digital transformation for a large customer, that's not something it's like, oh, I want you to pick this credit, this credit, this credit, boom, we're done. And so so, so I get all that, but, but let's think about this scenario. So you put a really interesting... Thought on the table. We had, we're we SaaS. We update our product multiple times a year. The customer automatically gets that update, number one. Number two, I mean, some of these updates, I'm sure, you know, they're, they're not game changer. They're not super, you know, um, the customer doesn't have to do a lot to adopt them. CS probably has some motions there. It says, oh, hey, we have this new feature. You're going to do this. Let me do, you know, education might have some training. But there are probably changes that occur that the customer is going to need some help. Adopting in a more significant way, change management—it's a project to adopt that capability to get the f- you know the, the full value—and that's perfect for PS. And so, articulating a value proposition to the customer and say, "Look, you know, this year, you know, we're going to do X amount of changes. For some of these changes, we think there's going to be some real change management required. We have a ongoing service for that that you can sign up for. Blah blah blah. You kind of—it's like the insurance policy, if you will, right—to make sure that's there. So, having this that line of demarcation between. And the callous being the fact, just the nature of our SaaS product, there's there's new capabilities coming for easy adoption. That's CS, it's gonna be ES, whatever it's standard. For more complex adoption, where we think for you to get the full business value, that's something PS could put an offer. But again, proactively put that on the table, that something becomes renewable and the customer says, look, I always wanna have the bat phone, if you will, into Salesforce PS, because I know I'm gonna have these seminal changes occurring and I have that capability, I've budgeted for it, I'm gonna get the full value. So, I mean, I think it's a really interesting concept and it's also aligned with, you know, our belief what we call supplier led sales model, where you're being way more prescriptive with the customer about this is what we think you need to be fully successful, to get all the value that you're paying for out of the platform, here's the, you know, here's really the prescription, right? And, And by the way, this change management capability, whatever, you know, on an ongoing basis is something we think you should, you know, you should sign up for. Does that is that track to directionally
1: it, it does track. And I and I think the the bigger the, the bigger story for for us is Salesforce is an enterprise platform for many of our customers. It it is not a CRM system that sits over in the corner. It's got multiple tentacles and is fully embedded into the technology stack of an organization. And so Part of what we are looking at is taking advantage of a lot of these bigger innovations actually requires looking at the overall architecture and thinking about how we do that in a responsible way. We also have multiple clouds that come integrated. And if you've got different parts of the organization, whether it's your sales organization, your marketing, customer service that are using different products, but they're actually the same technology stack. You've got to be thinking operationally about how you make changes in one without negatively impacting the other. So, the complexity that comes with the ongoing, responsible management of of the platform is not always trivial.
0: It, you know, and he, here's a question um, which I didn't have on the list here, but but it it just you know, I clicked in my mind listening to you. Because this word of complexity, right? Because customer environments can be very complex, and especially if you have a platform as you know as robust as a Salesforce. To your point, it's not like just a you know a CRM thing sitting in the corner. It's all of these things. It's the way the company is managing tons of you know workflow and processes. And I'm curious on your perspective of this this spectrum, there or this continuum rather, between between highly customized and more you know standard I'll, I'll say best in class implementation and i'm going to i'm going to put my cards on the table you know what i what i believe right but you're going to but you're you're in the trenches on this right with with the, one of the largest you know enterprise applications out there so you tell me the real deal okay so historically You know, enterprise software companies, I would argue, would come to the table to a customer, you know, less with a solution and more with a toolbox. And they would say, look, I've got these really cool capabilities and you can put them together the way you want to, to fit your processes, your environment. And we'll we'll, either we'll help you do that, we have partners and customization was king and every customer believed they were a snowflake. You know, my sales process is different than your sales process, my whatever process is different than your sales, your, your process. And so everyone needed customization. They wanted it. They craved it. You know, they they did it. Lots of money spent on it. Lots of money tech and and you know integrators made doing that. Make you know, and and as software providers, we loved it. It's like, hey, it makes us really sticky, they can't move off us. That was, you know, I would say state of the art, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Now there's this march where where I believe, right? Customers are saying, look, y- you know, I don't want to be a snowflake. Salesforce, you know more about sales processes probably than anybody on the planet. Can you please tell me I'm a, you know, $100 million company, a $200 million company. Wh- what should my CRM, pro- you know, look like? Can you please implement the best practice here and don't make me try to figure this out. And And the closer I stay to your standard offer, the better, right? Because I'm not going to spend all this money on customization and I'm not going to be stuck three or five or 10 years from now when you tell me, Hey, we're moving in a different direction and you have this huge lift. So, so I believe that, you know, ringing complexity and customization out is a good thing. I think for the, for the customers, Um, I think it's ultimately a good thing for you as a technology provider. I think it allows technology providers to actually add more value again, by being more prescriptive with the customer bringing the best, you know, practice implementation, but I mean, I could be wrong, right? You might be saying, Thomas, man, there is such an appetite for customization uh, that people still believe there's snowflakes. So what? You're living it. Tell me what you're seeing.
1: So c- can I give a, a yes and yeah, yes sure. answer? Yeah, sure. absolutely. So, so I think we absolutely, as an organization, lead with the solution is robust. And what we call that is out of the box. Like, we like we try to actually leverage as much out of the box capability as Possible, and that is one of the things. As a professional services organization within Salesforce, we are maniacal about. We say, let's try to reconfigure the business process so that we can leverage out-of-the-box capabilities. I have a saying on my team, and I tell this to customers. We get buy-in from leadership all the time, right? So, customer leadership is all in on this. Figure first, customize. Third, because second, I'm going to come to you and we're going to talk about whether there's any way that we can get around customizing. So we're not going to go configure, then customize. We're going to discuss it and discuss the trade-offs of customizing before we go down that path. So I think that that's an important mindset and discipline that we bring. The reason that I said yes and yes, though, is because people are creatures of habit this is just our human condition and people are used to the way that they did it before which was highly customized and so while they're you know they know that they don't want to customize what they want in terms of requirements is customized so so i think we have to help navigate that and that sometimes leads to a higher level of customization than either we or our customers would like, but it's significantly lower than it would have been otherwise, because we're challenging it along the way. So I think it's a little bit of an evolution.
0: I mean, and that's a great, I mean, that's, a, I think, an awesome answer in terms of helping, you know, describe the reality of what's going on out there between that, again, that continuum. Um, again, I'm my big believer in that out of the box best practices is probably the winning play for majority of companies and that they're, and that they're, What they think is differentiated, you know, competitive advantage is actually not. There's other places, you you know, I, I would submit the way you picking on something simple, the way you manage the stages of your sales cycle, I don't think is going to be the competitive advantage for any company, right? That's probably not, now people using the software, you know, getting the, you know, bubble, there's other ways you create advantage, but, but the core best practices, I don't see a lot of value in trying to reinvent that wheel. Right from company to company to company. But what you put on the table, I think, is so accurate, which is even if that's the reality, people are are very wedded to the way they've been doing it. And that is a human physics thing. And when you get to that frontline sales manager, right, or salesperson or whatever, sales ops, and they're like, whoa, 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 this is the way we've always done it. You've got to map, you know, to that. So yeah, I think it's I think it's a, you know, a super fascinating conversation to continue to to, to watch. But I I, I believe that you know we've kind of historically we've done a historical amount of customization that we'll we'll never see again because I do think enough companies have experienced. And by the way, J- Jim Roth, right said on our stage when you know he the he told the story about for you know your own cES SS organization blew up their instance of Salesforce because they had customized it right so much over 20 years and they realized, you know, we're way off the edge of the map here. We got to go back to the out of the box. And why aren't we taking advantage of that? And he's, I mean, that was super painful to do. But he they, you know, the realization that that is going to serve us way better than continuing to try to maintain and 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 you know propagate all of the you know, the 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 chewing gum and rubber bands and everything that, you know, keep customization together.
1: I think technical debt. Is something that we're going to be talking a lot more about in the future be- because I think that you're right. We 15 years ago, what what we did in this industry is different than what we want to do now, and, and and so we've got to address the technical debt that we have created. and And at some there's an inflection point for most of our customers. There's an inflection point at which point they're like, you know what? Now is the time to make the leap.
0: Yeah. You know, the, you know, the last book we wrote, the title was digital hesitation. And one of the realities is why are so many companies hesitating with an impactful digital transformation? It's technical debt. (laughs) They can't get off of, you know, the spaghetti, right? They just, it's like, it's so, and it's real. real.
1: It it is real. real. It's
0: expensive. It's expensive. So, so that was a great, that was a great tangent there. The, um, so I, another thing I want to put on the table here is, um, You know, again, the changing nature of professional services. And in this paper I mentioned in the opening about the the future of technology professional services, we predicted the death of the billable hour, right? As PS organizations become more focused on value realization, um, and and they're also taking more stuff ratable, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously, we were trying to be provocative with that. but, But what are your thoughts on that prediction? You know, the focal point of a PS organization, which again, historically has been billable hours... Project margin, you know, that's kind of where my world lives. W- where do you CPS, you know, five years down the road, in terms of of you know how to find success or what it's really maniacally focused on, you know, in terms of
1: KPIs? I, I think it's such an interesting question, and you know, I have been in professional services for thirty years. So to me, the, the the core metrics of utilization, revenue, and margin being intuitive measures for me um, are. are are hard to think about not having, right? It's, it's, it's a little um, unsettling. But I, I think that we're going to be using those same measures to determine the health of our business, not necessarily what we are talking to our customers about. So billable hour is sort of a measure we use to monetize our services. And today it is exclusively tied to the time it takes to deliver that value. And I think we will get away from that. I do believe that we will start talking more and more about the value delivered and monetize it in a way that is not directly tied to the time required. And being, being able to do that is going to cause people to just think about, Monetization and contracting strategies a little bit differently. I don't think it actually changes how we measure the health of our business in terms of utilization, revenue, or margin, because internally within the organization, we still are looking at are we running a good business or where are our vulnerabilities? But I do think from the the customer conversation, it will change. And those customers who are only pricing based on billable hour will find that it's no longer accurate in terms of what they can expect as an outcome.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it'll be interesting to see how long this this transformation takes. I mean, in some ways, it is the conversation between, am I doing cost plus pricing, you know, versus, you know, a fixed price for the customer versus some type of value-based pricing, right? That that conversation's been in play for, um, ever since I've been writing about PS. Everybody wants to do value-based pricing. The reality is everybody has cost plus pricing, right? They basically say, how many hours does it take? I put my margin on top of that. Boom, here we go. And I could do that fixed price if I have a lot of confidence in my in my effort. But to, to your point, what you're on is is ultimately the conversation. Even even the contract may not be, quote, you know, value-based. The conversation's got to be all anchored on the on the value. It's not about like, oh, I don't know, man, that's going to be 20 hours of, you know, a senior consultant or a project manager, and here's what that looks like. It, that's just it's like, oh, I don't care if it's 20 hours or 50 hours or two hours. What I care about is—is is it getting me across the goal line on the value, and, and I do think that that's where the conversation's got to be.
1: And I think we have to help our customers have trust us enough to be able to accept that answer, Thomas, because because I think that right now they validate our estimates, if you will, with some reasonableness factor, founded or unfounded, right. But, but they're they I I think it's it's a conversation but if you challenge any business person to say if I commit to delivering that outcome for ten dollars is it worth the ten dollars that's the question it, it regardless of how long it takes me is it worth the ten dollars so
0: I you know you that's a really interesting. Thing you put on the table here about cust- the customer wants to validate the effort, and 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 I will bet a dollar that that customer who's trying to validate that effort is either coming from IT or procurement, and they're looking and they're saying, okay, Salesforce, here's your quote, and you're saying it's going to take X amount of hours. All right, so so let me give you an analogy. Right right now, I was just telling Vanessa before we started here that my the upstairs of my house is getting blown up right now. I have a contractor and they're redoing it, and um, you know, obviously they give me a price for this work, right? I I, I don't you know, redo houses for a living. I, I have no idea, you know, I can get a price, but in terms of trying to break that down and saying, well, how many hours is it going to take you to to redo this floor or take that down? I ha- I'm not the expert. I, I don't know. So I'm not trying, going to even attempt to inspect at that level, right? I would submit, this may be heresy to every, you know, I, IT leader and procurement person out there, but I would submit that if you, you have an N of one, you're in procurement and you're going through the Salesforce, you know, statement of work and you're trying to get, you know, I think that's too much. I think that's too little. Salesforce is doing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these. Who has better insight and data on what it takes to get these things done? You with an N of one or them with an N of hundred, right? There's no comparison, there, right? So, it, so you, you again, you put a really interesting thought on the table, which is the customer has to have, you know, more, you know, faith and respect for what. The, you know, not just Salesforce, but any technology providers putting on the table and saying, look, this is this is what the right answer is, right? This is what we know good looks like. And, yeah, you can carve that out or try to carve that out, but bad things are going to happen, right? So, it, it, you know, it is interesting, but it is also goes along this shift from a world of I'm paying for effort, I'm paying for stuff, as opposed to I'm paying for value. And that's the that's journey right. that we're – that we're on. So, all right, I, I I would be remiss here if if we didn't have um, a conversation about the impact of AI and and data on consulting, because um, again, in this future of technology, professional services, you, you know, we, we believe that you know the insights being driven by data and AI are going to be things that change the way we you know we, we operate in professional services. So so what are you seeing there in terms of new tools as it applies to delivering? professional services?
1: Oh my gosh. It's like the, such a big sandbox to play in and it's so much fun. I think that there's actually a lot that we're, we're seeing and that is something that my team does get to play with. Uh, So, so it's, it's actually something I can share some specific examples around. I think that AI, first of all, I would say that AI is more than generative AI. And we should be mindful that it is everything from the diagnostic to predictive to certainly generative. And and there's a lot of automation opportunity along the way as well. I I think the things that that we are looking at is how can we leverage AI to drive amazing customer outcomes or employee experiences, right? Because there's there's two different types of audiences there. Certainly, Salesforce has AI-related capabilities in its products that it's announced, will continue to announce. And so a big part of our responsibility is to make sure that we're delivering and implementing that for our customers. So there's there's, there's a whole implementation of our product suite side of that. But if I extend that to how we deliver differently... For our customers, right? I am looking at the different tools and applications that we have, whether we've developed them internally, because we have a number of of applications that certainly are built on Salesforce that, that we're using that I'm taking a look at that say, how do I build in AI capabilities into this tool suite for our employees to be able to deliver outcomes different customer outcomes differently? I am looking at opportunities for third party tools as well. We use a number of third party tools, um, as I'm sure everybody does. And they're all looking at introducing AI capabilities. And how do we take advantage of those in the right places? I'm looking at that complement of what I'm doing, what they're doing, what is the best strategy for us to be able to take care of that. The, the harder question is actually around how do I do this consistently at scale? Right? So, so we have a global organization that is several thousands of people. And I, I need to be thinking about as the technology evolves, as these tools evolve, as our processes evolve, what how do I maintain that consistency? And so we're, we believe, this is the approach that we're starting with first and and We'll go down plan B if plan A doesn't work. But as we have a very robust methodology that we use here uh, in how we deliver, and it's super well documented, that's all scaled and, and pushed out. I think our goal is to continue to evolve that methodology and embed the AI capabilities there so that as we drive ongoing methodology usage and adoption, and we've got all kinds of things to do that, it just starts to show up right? And, and people can start taking advantage of it without it being a huge learning curve. Because in a professional services organization, that's disruptive. I think the, the other things that we're looking at are around this whole concept of accelerating our overall delivery process using GPT. And I think, you know, Einstein GPT, that's our product, has a developer GPT, Component. Anybody that has played with any of the large language models like a chat GPT will know that you can ask it to write code, and it will, right? Um, that's fabulous, actually. So, so we're taking a look at, in our Salesforce world, using our trust, our security models, and all of our rules, how we would be able to do that for our customers and we've got ways in which to do that that are specific to the the code that is required for our applications. But we're not just looking at code generation, we're looking at code validation. We're looking at unit testing. We are looking at the auto generation of user stories, test cases, acceptance criteria, all of the different things along the way that if we can do things in seconds rather than minutes, or hours, we are able to deliver outcomes to our customers faster. And that is pretty huge. But making sure we do that in a consistent, high-quality fashion, which I'm not willing to make that trade-off, right? Fast is good, but it still has to be consistent. And with quality, how do we do that? And, and I think that's, it's, a, it's a great time of experimentation, and and we're doing a lot of that. And I think we're seeing very quickly, actually, that there's a tremendous opportunity out there. Tremendous.
0: You opened up with the statement, which is so important, which is when people say AI, it's not just generative AI. There's lots of other capabilities. And so one journey we're on right now, because I mean, uh, part of what I believe, and I've been talking to the TSI research team about this, is we have to help you know member companies separate s- sort of the hype from the reality. Right, because you know there's a lot of hype, but the question is, what are people really doing with it in professional services, in education services, in customer success? And so, an exercise we're going through, which I, I we just started this week, and I'm super ex- excited about it, is the the model, which is not our our model; it's a, it's an AI model. And I don't know if you've seen it before, but it's the concept of of AI capabilities. Um, and, and there's a mountain, and a mountain. At the top of the mountain are things that only humans can do. All right, and then at the, mo- at the base of the mountain is water and below the water are things that AI has can now already do. And of course the theory is, or not the theory reality is the water line is rising. Okay. So for each area, we'll pick on professional services. The question we're asking as we, as we look out into the members and the industry, what AI capabilities are already below the water heavily adopted within professional services, customer success, which things are at the water line. Like you were talking about things could it be co-testing, could it be this criteria, whatever what is a little above the waterline where people are st- saying hey maybe in the next year or two and then what is way above the waterline right where it really is kind of maybe still hype or futuristic that landscape right there for every you know service capability within a tech company and also understanding that for example support has done an awesome job of of adopting predictive support models you know you know etc sometimes managed service organizations are behind on that capability so you can start to look at ai you know that landscape and understand. You know what is real, what's not, what's you know futuristic, and start to see where even within a tech company, I could look t- to one of my neighbors and say, "Gosh, they're already really good at that. What could I learn?" You know f- from that. So I, I think it, I, what you also said in that this description is it's exciting times for sure. A lot of new capabilities just popping up here. Capabilities are you know are, are really accelerating. I think they are going to be game changers, but I also think you know, the more people can ground in, in what is real <laughs> versus, you know, what is just, you know, not, not happening today is going to be helpful as well. So thank you for that perspective. I'm going to one final question for, for, for you. Sure. Um, and you know, the, the, the the one I want to change the one I end on here. I, I actually have to ask this question because it's uh, something I've lived with all my life as it relates to professional services, and that is the relation of embedded professional services to the overall objective of you know driving technology and getting the technology deal. And every person I've ever spoken to who sits in your chair has to deal with this dynamic of you get that, you know, that that call, that knock on the door in the office. and They say, Hey, Shally, I got this really, really big strategic deal. And I really need you to deploy a bunch of resource. I'm not sure if the customer really has money for it, or maybe it's 50 cents on the dollar, but trust me, it's really strategic. And there's going to be all this good stuff that happens, you know, six months down for Salesforce. Every embedded PS leader is in that conversation at some point in time. And, and so if you're talking to your peers, right, how would you, how do you manage that? How would you coach them to, to have that conversation?
1: I think it's a reality. And I think it's a, I think it's a good reality, um, but it has to be managed and accounted for properly. So I think one of the things that we as embedded Professional services organizations appreciate is that our business, our mission as professional services, at least here at Salesforce, is to help our customers love and use the Salesforce product. Because renewals come after that, growth comes from that. Love it, use it. That's our mission. Our mission is not to hit our revenue and margin goals exclusively, right? As it might be if we weren't embedded. So because of that, we should expect us as an organization to make strategic investments as may be necessary to grow the overall business. I think setting boundaries around how much that investment should be is important. Create a budget. I would recommend creating a budget annually for your investments. And then you have choices to make. If you have a $100 budget, that $100 can only go so far. And when it's gone, it's gone. And so I think that that forces good decision-making and good discipline around how to have it and, and allows everybody to be able to have conversations with boundaries.
0: It, it's killer that that's the tactic you put on the table because I, I believe in that. In, in my personal experience, the best version I ever came up with is I did exactly what you said is you come up with that budget. Here's our investment budget. I I gave the power of that budget to sales to decide what accounts they wanted to apply it on, right? And say, so, but to your point, it's a hundred dollars.
1: I recommend doing that as well. I I think that's the best way.
0: Because then you're, you're like, you're not the bad person anymore, right? You're not, the, you know, you're not saying, oh, you know, you're not the, the, the PS leader always saying no. You're like, hey, I'll say yes all day long is it's coming out of this budget over here, right? And once you spend that. You know that was your and what I found is that then sales leadership gets much more you know prudent <laughs> because they realize <laughs> that it's not every deal is the same and they start to really you know stress test where it makes sense to make that investment so anyway well thanks for sharing that because I think that's a, just a good practical insight for for everybody so I'm watching the clock here thanks so much for spending the time with us today uh, and I'd like to always end with the question of the day so here's my question of the day for, for our audience. Have you seriously thought about the future of your professional services business? Or are you simply thinking the future looks the same as today? Cheers.